According to your principal, yesterday's writing assignment was not educational or school-appropriate or ethical. So, we are going to press hold on the threatening letters to my ex and uh, watch another movie. your book report i just go right into it you don't introduce it or anything nope cold open all right here we go today i will be talking to you about the 80s the cold war ronald reagan nuclear proliferation or however you pronounce that (laughs) the number one cause of problems in the united states is fraternities (laughs) Not only were they highly influential, I think, on a lot of young men, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with right now are caused by these frat bros who are now in their 50s running the world. (laughs) I would say that there is a direct lineage between the Republican Party and Porky's too, but uh, that's, that's a different book report. Perhaps the only thing you know about fraternities are the many, many rape-filled movies from <laughs> 1981 to 1991. And of course, who could forget Academy Award winner and fan favorite, Future Kill. <laughs> the thing that to me that uh, was the most striking, knowing almost nothing about the movie going into it, was how long there would be a fraternity subplot. <laughs> Which I guess was just kind of what you did back then, which was, hey, we have to make people laugh for 25 minutes. Oh, I got an idea. What if we had uh, white people in boat shoes ruining other people's lives? (laughs) They left out the Greek stuff, which is fine, because that's all Greek to me. Uh, I'm going to kill myself. But they immediately went for some classic pranks, such as uh, taking someone's car and smashing it into a cube off screen. Tarring and feathering someone. But then the ultimate prank of the fraternity was, I guess, uh, sex trafficking? I don't know exactly what they were doing. And that's what sets the whole movie in motion, which is that there's a group of misunderstood protesters. Let's ruin their lives, uh, and it'll be really funny. And instead, it turns around on them. And I think that there is a lot of metaphor there that I think matches up with the world that we're in and it would make sense that someone in 1984 trying to kidnap a peaceful protester uh, is probably the head of the police union right now if you think about it age-wise that is my book report I would drop the mic but it belongs to me I paid for it (laughs) finally I want the pleasure of killing them myself that guy's a psycho. I want you to watch your brothers go one at a time. The stars of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre are back. Marilyn Burns, Edwin Neal. Future Kill. Thus begins another class here at Video High. Let's take the role first. Greg Hansen. My name's Greg. Like me so far? 
Jamie Kennedy. Please, Jamie is my Zod name. I go by Starfucker now. <laughs> uh, Casey Regan, present, and also Fuke the Zods. Uh, Josh Roth. Guys, am I more of a freak or a Zod? <laughs> and introducing our first exchange student here at Video High, photographer, comedian, and co-creator of the heavy metal talk show masterpiece, Two Minutes to Late Night, Drew Kaufman. Hey, hey, I'm Drew Kaufman. Hey. I'm I'm bad at remembering movie quotes, so I'm just that guy that hung another man and got pleasure out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have not had more difficulty following any of our other previous movies as much as I did this one. So I need a lot of walkthroughs. <laughs> I felt like I went into a fugue state. I mean, I, I can give you the nuts and bolts. This movie has very little plot. <laughs> I mean, we get a cold open with uh, two ostensible leaders of a no-nuke protest faction. There is Eddie Payne, who is the the nonviolent leader. Eddie Payne is Tim Roth dressed like a bird. <laughs> Eddie Payne is the is the leader of the of the nonviolent protests. His ultimate warrior uh, sidekick Splatter uh, is violent, which is a problem. You like to talk. You're hurting the cause. I'm the leader of a nonviolent movement, and you're a violent person. But that scene last night, that girl's worked with us for over two years. She was one of us. She talked to reporters. Uh, cut to frat party. There's frat hijinks. We are going to kidnap a protester because the theme for tomorrow's party is the no nuke protesters. Uh, and we will bring that protester back to be, I suppose, decoration for the party. They pick out Splatter, Eddie Payne, and uh, Dorothy Grimm, who are the uh, leaders and the craziest looking of the bunch. Splatter doesn't take so kindly to that kills the president of the frat and then the rest of the hour runtime is He's spent the warriors is the warriors yeah is, <laughs> is the frat frat bros try to get back to north austin question mark well, no, uh, so i understand that much but like the thing that i'm baffled by is i feel like this movie even more so than anything else we've talked about is like trying to have a message and I am deeply confused by what that message is. Uh, like, Monster is chasing group of people who have wronged somehow, but actually are the good guys. But meanwhile, you also have this Reaganism versus nuclear uh, proliferate, <laughs> deproliferate, whatever. And help me out. Help All me out, we everyone. needed was, like, <laughs> save the whales. And this was just <laughs> 80s bingo. You have to remember one thing, which is that this movie is from 1985. And back then, you didn't really have messages. You had like a very special after school special, you know, where Spider Man's friend smokes pot and then jumps off a building, you know? So, like, <laughs> you guys are in 2020. And, like, if someone from 1985 heard the littlest bit of your wokeness, their heads would explode. Like, they can't possibly. No one really explains things back then. It's just like, you know. President good, America good, Russians bad, eat French fries, you know? And it's like, just just to have the word, like, nuclear is, like, a huge statement. So this is just, like, the, you know, the, this is the Aaron Brockovich of its time, basically. Okay, okay, okay. And then one more clarifying question before we dig in. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to lay the groundwork before, like, everything goes to hell. Uh, 
are all frats Zods or are all Zods frats? Because this this movie posits that everyone in the world is either a freak or a frat. I think Zods in this movie is a placeholder for normie. Okay, okay. Anyone not a mutant is a fucking Zod. You don't want to be a Zod, be downtown. <laughs> well, as long as we're laying groundwork, uh, where, when, and how is this movie? <laughs> is it the future yet? It's called Future Kill. We do not get an opening Chiron of location, of date. No, we get Koyaanisqatsi. The first three minutes of this movie is just Koyaanisqatsi in Austin, Texas. <laughs> Koi Austin Katsi. Koi Austin Katsi. <laughs> boo, boo, boo. Guys, I'm going to split a bit from what you're saying. I think all of your questions are answered if you understand one thing, which is this is a movie with pitch perfect politics <laughs> and that possibly saved the world. <laughs> oh, was this? Like, yeah, I think it was this movie. Because the, the beginning of this movie, you don't like anyone. You like zero person in this movie. Like, oh, that's the, not true. I like Julie. Julie's great. That bitch Julie is great. At the beginning, I, I mean, at, all the characters you're introduced to as the main characters in the beginning of the movie, you really hate them because in a very sort of like hyper 80s age of Reagan conservatism, like there is this idea that the conversation is between the politicized who are uh, violent and on the fringe mm -hmm. and the totally apolitical who have given into like the hyper materialism of Reagan. 80s like super capitalism and <laughs> this movie I I, <laughs> I I'm going to get to my point eventually <laughs> I think you got it yeah. I mean that all makes sense to me it was very much front facing with everything that is horrible about frat culture I do want to talk about the party but the second scene we see of them when they turn on the news a protest has broken out between Eddie Payne and the anti-nuke truists which and is my new love band. That band. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, it totally it doesn't phase them at all. At that point, I honestly thought that these were two movies that were never finished that were spliced together to make one movie. Like It's brilliant because it is, <laughs> is it, it is a, yes, yes, because <laughs> it is a world where people who are within the quote unquote frat power structure, they have under 80s Reaganism, the freedom to be apolitical. They have the freedom to be totally divorced from what is happening on the other side of town. Like this is, oh my God, this I'm, I'm vibrating again. <laughs> I, need, I need a nap. <laughs> Well, I don't agree with you, though, because I think that the frat boy stuff isn't in there to, to poke fun at a trope of 80s films. I think that the frat boy stuff is in there because they were like, yeah, let's put that in. People like that. It's an excuse to show tits, you know? I don't think that it was done at the purpose of satire. And there's some I, stuff that borderlines on it, but it... I it, think it is. I, think I don't it know. Is because, because they make them so unlikable. Like, if they had tried to make more likable characters, then I would agree with you. But they're you're asshole. Looking at it, yeah, but you're looking at it from, from a 2020 perspective. They're likable in the 80s because they're mean, young Republicans who like to dunk on nerds. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, th I think it is using the idea of, of like what you saw in the other movies to bring that context to them so I, I i agree that like it's supposed to be a satire of what all these other movies were saying 
about frat boys. I think the party scene definitely like lends credence to that. Yeah. Like th- that it's sets so up. It's so over the top. The party is so over the top. It feels so by the numbers. It's like, it's like here is party. There, like there is dildo. They spike woman's drink. There is blow up doll. There is got nerd right. with glasses. Like it just nerd is like with glasses looking at two pairs of breasts with and his eyes oh like basically God. like popping out on Boy. his stocks. Like <laughs> there's a familiar face in that in that scene. John Hawks, uh, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you caught that too because so there's a moment where one of the sort of like lingerie clad women. Uh, simulates <laughs> simulates fellatio and takes a bite out of what is obviously a raw hot dog. <laughs> what is like very clearly a raw hot dog. And then a, a, a guy who's watching it turns and does like a mm, bites his fist like, oh, my boner is going <laughs> to explode. It is Winter's Bone, Deadwood, fucking Eastbound and Down's own John Hawks in a like early role. Holy shit. <laughs> But it doesn't feel fun, and I don't think that that is not purposeful. This is what the first parties after quarantine are going to be like, right? <laughs> like this was, this was very weird. Yeah. They were uh, roasting weenies indoors. It was very quiet, yet also very horny. Like it has all the discomfort of like we've we haven't been to a party in months. It was literally a guy on an IV. Like this may have been after the pandemic. It is ugly, <laughs> strange, filled with like murky synth pop and fucking creeps. And Gross. I feel like that is what uh, 80s parties creeps. were. And you can't tell what the age of everyone is. Clint, the leader of their fraternity, looks like a 40-year-old man. Oh, like, he, he is a 40-year-old man. He never I left. He for was sure that he was one of their fathers who was an accountant who was going to kick <laughs> yeah. them out of the house. Yeah, he's their friend, Dad. <laughs> All right, guys, you've been here too long. You haven't paid rent you gotta get your shit together okay boys i put up with the drinking i put up with you streamlining the fiji president's vet i even put up with the drugs especially when you were kind enough to share them with me i am glad that the younger generation has the internet so that they can stay away from parties like this (laughs) it's very weird it's very odd there's a character named greg which i find very offensive Hi, my name's Greg. Like me so far? No. Maybe one of the best opening lines of any character. Like, the fact that he isn't in the rest of the movie was, I think, my greatest regret. This is the party of another fraternity. Right. Can we just address the uh, <laughs> the way that they introduce us to the uh, opposing frat leader who is sitting behind a desk holding a steering wheel that is attached to nothing inside of a room surrounded by two largely muscled skimpily dressed bodyguard men yeah one of his bodyguards was absolutely stretch armstrong like that was (laughs) he was like one large human shaped muscle right and then we're introduced to our main character's fraternity. We realize that they have destroyed, as, a, as one of those funny frat pranks you hear about, they have destroyed another person's Corvette. And they have been sent to this party to apologize oh, to the fraternity president. Oh, I did not. President. Shit. He's, oh, my God. Wait, the guy He's holding behind. the steering yeah. wheel. Is that the steering yeah. wheel from yeah, his destroyed yeah, yeah. car? I, oh, yeah, did, yeah, yeah. I did not put that, that together either so until just now. Yeah, come on. Oh, come on. Yeah, I, just, yeah, yeah. I just thought he was insane. No, I also no, no, thought, no. yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Josh. I, for some reason, it just like zoomed right over me. Yeah, yeah. but again, this is, these are the, this is the internal strife of the elite. 
Like this is his dad has bought him that car. That's why like having a car destroyed for anyone else would be a, a big problem. You know, that would be a problem. But for him, it's not a problem. It is. It well, needs they to learn be... later that it can be a problem because when their car gets destroyed, it literally does become a matter of life and death. Exactly. Mm. There's so much point counterpoint in this movie that is not heavy handed, but is just sort of there that I think the satire in this movie is purposeful. Like, I mean, even the party get the if there is any sort of like turnabout for our characters it happens in the mutants concert rock show later it seems genuinely fun it's not that this movie couldn't make a party look fun they could it seems genuinely awesome later it's hard to tell i think the the crazy thing about satire is that you usually enjoy it more when it's pointed out that it's satire you know mm-hmm. like people who don't get the onion until it's explained to them and I think sure. maybe just having read a lot of very, very bad satire in my career, I've just am, feel like I have a pretty good bullshit radar for that. But I could be wrong. This could actually be a hidden masterpiece. And by that, I mean 30 minutes of really good satire and then an hour of people running around filling up time. Yeah, but, that's the thing is I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. Now your president informs me that you've decided to apologize for the horrible thing you did. And I do appreciate your ordering me the new vet. Maybe I can get one in a better color than the one Daddy sent me. And that you get to wear these. Bullshit! No way! Then our sort of protagonist fraternity are told they have to dress in drag, which they flatly refuse because it insults their masculinity. And in response to that, uh, the sort of meathead tough guy character uh, offers that they tar and feather the person who deigned to offer that they dress in drag. After they do that, he abandons his friends as the other fraternity comes out and chases them away. And to make amends, he brings <laughs> home a woman for, I guess, all of them to yeah, uh, you know, run train on. <laughs> bang rag. Like a pizza. Just share. Just that 80s movie sense of like, oh boy, we're all going to score together in the same room. At least she was consenting. Like, at least she was like, you know, a sex worker who knew what she was signing up for and like was like, yep, let's let's do this. (laughs) I love uh, the logic of of the movie where it's like the dudes end up getting beaten up by the by the rival frat. He shows up later and they're like, Steve. There is nothing you could possibly do. Oh, yeah. One of those great sales. <laughs> that would ever make us want to be your friend again. And then lady comes in, no shirt on, and they like immediately are just like, all right, I guess it's fucking time. Like, and then right. the Jim Carrey, uh, Jim Carrey predecessor just <laughs> oh, yeah. goes full Tex Avery. <laughs> Everybody for the late show. Tonight's feature Worm in the Cave in 3D. (laughs) He looked like very young, still very Canadian Jim Carrey. He had a couple really good jokes and then like a hundred just like attempts <laughs> he was he was really throwing out quantity oh he's he's like a he's a true texan buckshot baby <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the tough guy steve is, i uh, uh, steve 
he says, we're going to go up to my room, meet us up there in five minutes with this woman. And when we see the camera from inside his room looking out, we see that Steve, the man who has tarred and feathered someone, has a Confederate flag oh, yeah. hanging yes. in his room. I know. <laughs> again, I was like, what is this movie telling me? What's your message? Well, they shot movie? it in Texas in the 80s. You know? <laughs> sure. I'm sure that was that was like Pulp Fiction posters for us. Right. If if they had shown, because I noticed that too, but I noticed that it was only a specific like corner. It was just they clearly were using someone else's room and they didn't have time to set decorate, so they just left it there. Trying to frame it out a little bit. Yeah. Trying to just like they just got the corner caught in the middle of the frame and they have nothing. Can you assume? I disagree. I disagree with that because the the original aspect ratio of the movie is one eight five. So there is. All right. Yes. So th- there is, de- you will definitely see more of that. There's maybe three or four like homophobic jokes made before two men get very excited to sleep with the same woman, and it's like <laughs> I really thought for a I second know. when they were when they were about to have you know the the devil's three way, the, the, the devil's three way. <laughs> <laughs> they must have been focused on each other to not notice. Oh, yeah. That oh. the Texas switch, <laughs> yeah. That somehow, in the midst of their sexual congress, they've switched out that woman for another overweight woman, like fucking the prestige. Like, there's no Steve is apparently a master magician, yeah. They call that a South by South mess. Nice. <laughs> and then we cut to again, again, Drew, you sort of brought it up, but like, such like offense and disdain for the idea of needing to dress in any drag. But then they have a a really tender makeover scene where they're like putting makeup on each other. Yeah, yeah, you get this seemingly out of nowhere montage of them putting on makeup. Makeovers. And they all look great. Like they They all have like beautiful, like just beautiful androgynous cheekbones. Like amazing eyeshadow. Like incredible. I didn't realize we had cut to the middle of Liquid Sky. (laughs) Yeah, being being a freak just means looking like David Bowie. That's really what like right totally is. I also love I love that because this movie's like idea of what the counterculture looks like is like 10 years behind. It's like, this would have been like edgy in 1977. Same with the music. There's yeah. like, at the punk scene later, I'm like, this is great for 1978, but by 1985, this would be the Dead Kennedys. Like, Yeah. So what are the clothes for? The spring party. This year's theme will be the no nuke protest. You guys have the distinct pleasure of going downtown to kidnap the freak of my choice. Freak? Freak City. <laughs> Their fraternity president, uh, John Hodgman as the PC guy, uh, <laughs> tells them that they have to go and, yeah, steal a woman from Freak, freak. City. Steal Freak. Okay. Steal freak. Yeah, they, they don't think they specify. They don't specify the gender. It's still insane. I guess that's true. We might be, we might be dipping into... Uh, my poisoned conspiracy brain but again the first act of this movie is about the internal strife of the elites and events of of 2019 and 2020 have told me that uh to like get ahead in the elite world human trafficking is not a small part of that world (laughs) there's like a good amount of like earning your bona fides in this world by doing a you know it's like tiny little bit of human trafficking your boner fides as it were (laughs) all right yes (laughs) 
Greg! <laughs> I think I think you want it to be about the struggle against the elites, but the problem is that there are no elites in this movie. Obviously, buying someone a Corvette is a lot of money, but basically this is a story of how can the middle class meet with these freaks and what do they have in common? If you had seen the president, if you had seen like the nuclear czar, th- this is just like a very, very, very like small scope idea of like what is happening to this small town uh, that for some reason has like a crazy Death Note looking supervillain. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but they don't they don't really get into elites. But then does it become the classic argument of like what the elites do to the other classes below it in that they are pitted against each other rather than fighting the real problem? I you're think, you're yeah. inferring that, not seeing it. That's no, the thing. No, well, yeah. you do see the the. I think the elite that you see is and it, I agree i wish there were more of them but the one elite we see is the head of the other fraternity who's wearing an ascot and he's wearing a cravat you don't get more elite than that yeah like i think he is the he is the elite in this scenario. that's why i find the movie so politically perfect true i think you're right i think i worded it wrong that it's not really about the internal strife of the elites it's about those who thirst towards it in that very reagan Hyper consumer sort of conservatism, right? The, the dream who, of you get to be like an apathetic centrist. You just exist and your life is fine. Yeah. That's the American. Exactly. The American dream is you own a car and you go to work and you die. You know, you don't have right. to suffer. <laughs> right. And actually, the next scene after they get all uh, Ziggy Stardusted up is they go out <laughs> in their car now dressed as freaks and they see they get accosted by another car of essentially the same gr- like <laughs> yeah. them. It yeah, might it's be like, them. It's bizarro them. They're like, wow, they don't recognize us. I wrote at that point, douchebag rednecks driving around yelling at peaceful protesters, 2020 via 1985, baby. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they, they're like, what's these guys' problems? Because they have never they have never needed to become politicized because right. they've just been on this sort of like track of aiming towards like the the top until one day i like my heart blows up full of uh, beautiful sweet and sour stuff yeah a reoccurring theme is is that they impersonate a marginalized group and then constantly inherit the pitfalls that this marginalized group also has to deal with and they're like i don't understand can't they tell that we're just wearing a little makeup you know right Without ever right, catching. because they're unable to uh, consider their own place within this power structure. Right. Because they've never needed to before. Right. But those in the marginalized group can tell the difference and know that they are opposers, basically. Bunch of fucking Zods. Yep. Their, their leader dad uh, points out the freak that he wants them to kidnap, and it just so happens to be the leaders of this movement Splatter, uh, Lord Humongous in an MF Doom helmet. <laughs> Him, Eddie Payne, who is the sort of like celebrity leader of the movement who promotes nonviolence, and Dorothy Grimm, who was uh, is also there. Uh, <laughs> I prefer to call her She Splatter. <laughs> uh, I mean, but this is where this movie is also fairly interesting because up until this moment, uh, there's really been no female characters of any true no. character. This movie that promotes itself is like, we're bringing back the stars of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's like, that's Dorothy Grimm is Marilyn Burns. Like, that is one of them. And she, up until this point, has uh, nothing, which is like... 
and interesting the and end, it, basically it, nothing <laughs> uh, but that's not true she is really like her and julie by the end of the movie are really the only characters of consequence for the plot of this movie like our fraternity bros don't really do anything that that contributes meaningfully to the plot of this movie they are truly bait except for dad friend who gets stabbed through the throat okay screw ups i want him holy shit that guy looks mean (laughs) see you think you can take him no problem (laughs) clap on this sock spider kills dr dad and then (laughs) destroys his, his their car off screen while they all run away and he um, also kills he also kills Eddie Payne. He kills Eddie Payne. With a ninja star. Yep. With a ninja star. <laughs> which never comes back. <laughs> which never comes you know, back. But I appreciate the fact that like Chekhov's stuff- Ninja Star. If you show a, a ninja star in the first act, you gotta use it in the third. <laughs> Seriously. This I think this is a good point for us to actually lay out like what Splatter looks like. Because it's very important <laughs> for the movie. Like he does not look like the HR Geiger poster. No. How <laughs> no. dare you? <laughs> He's got he's wearing like this very shiny chrome armor. He has a sort of Spartan helmet that has his pink mohawk coming through the top of it. The like goth store uh finger rings that have the 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 spiky tips at the end. <laughs> right. And then on that same arm he has a sort of retractable set of 3 spikes like uh, that he uses to kill. It's like the cybernetic ghost of Christmas future from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yes, Drew! Oh my god. Absolutely what he looks like. He also has and it, and it factors in later an automatic like internal <laughs> IV that just fucking juices him up <laughs> i mean i i just appreciated the fact that we went from like okay let, let's try to grab him and there's a bit of a, a, like a tussle and then suddenly fucking splatter is wolverine uh <laughs> uppercuts uh dr dad's fucking neck bleeds everywhere and then is like sees it as the perfect opportunity to frame the frat bros to like killing eddie Payne to take over as this militant leader fucking ninja stars like doesn't even miss a beat ninja stars him and then it's just like haha the power is mine that's why he couldn't use it again because he has to frame it as like frat boys use the ninja star <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. frat right, boys right. Known, ninja stars. known as there ninja. are frat boys walking these streets with shurikens they can't be trusted <laughs> Yeah, it kicks off the next 40 minutes where nothing I mean, happens. Which we can skip. We can skip. Yeah. Like, we do not have yeah. to go through it this beat by goes. beat. Like, just know well, that they get, get they get split up into two different factions. You have Paul and the son of the chief of police. And then you have mm-hmm. in the other who eventually meets up with Julie. And then on the other side, you have uh, Steve, George, and Jim Carrey. Because the second half of this movie, nothing happens except for someone discovers they like killing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everything that you're saying, Casey, is true. It's so close. So this movie is two years before RoboCop. So there isn't really like this black satire of you know Reaganomics and uh, the idea that you can be apathetic to the world and survive if you're white. And it is really close. And it, it, it could have gotten there. You bring up RoboCop, great point. Drew, point Drew, put it on the scoreboard. Noted. Because there's a part of me that thought, like, is this like Starship Troopers, but for the Reagan 80s? Mm. Right. Oh, I wish. Like, we're supposed to see, like, the grotesqueness of 80s conservatism, but through a lens of, like, this is why 
it worked for people, white and male, it, they had no reason to question it. And still have no reason to question it. Like, Julie gives the lecture on, like, you know, like, if you have the luxury and the privilege to not have to, like, address any of these things and good for you. But, like, they don't learn. They don't learn a single lesson except that the the, the leftist people are eating themselves from the inside because their movement can't work, basically, without violence. Because they have a giant mutated person right. that will shove spikes into your face. Like I don't know if I, I actually don't know if I agree with that because I because I think the and and I'm hazy on names because names I, seem I seemed to, Here, <laughs> seemed to matter not. I wrote them. You have Paul, who is the guy romantically interested in Julie. You have okay, Steve, Paul. The, Steve the meathead, the big giant one. George, the expendable one, who dies. Clint is the accountant leader who dies in the opening of the, uh, uh, when they okay. go downtown. And then you have the son of the police chief who's maybe Jay or Tom. And you have the kid who looks like Jim Carrey who's maybe Jay or Tom. That's, okay. Those are our so, characters. To try and uh, like make this clear, you just listed the five whitest, blandest names. <laughs> There's John, 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 and, all, and Jim and John. <laughs> Uh, I, but I think I think Paul does learn. I think Paul, yeah. in his okay. relationship with closest. Julie, does actually start to come around and start to understand in a way that I would say he's the only proper hero in the movie. That everyone else in the movie, no, true <laughs> <laughs> hero. No, I'm not saying like like he's a good guy. I'm saying that. What like, does he learn? What did he learn? Tell me he what learned, he learned. He learned that the fucking protesters who he thought were all just like a bunch of idiots and stuff like actually are all, you know, reasonable human beings. It's basically like learning that like other people exist. exist. <laughs> yeah, right. Which is kind of which is like, all you can ask for in the 80s. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that this is like a pass. I'm just saying that like no. all our protagonists are, again, with the exception of Paul bad, horrible people and are not meant to be seen as good. Uh, we're not really supposed to sympathize with them because they, at the end of this, learn nothing. <laughs> it's a bold choice to have a movie that has no likable protagonists or heroes in it. But that's but <laughs> that's the thing Julie. is that they're, they're so close to satire, but they don't make it. Oh, sure. Okay, so Paul, Paul sees this woman getting attacked by the cops. He jumps in. The cops are going to basically kill him and then he uses his privilege he says hey the the leader of the cops what the leader of the cops what is the head of a cop called again <laughs> the leader of the cops wow. the, the chief, chief of police. police uh the queen cop is my is my mother <laughs> yeah cop queen go off cop queen <laughs> yeah that's like the one moment of like awareness in the world okay so let's let's talk about the mutants for a second because as much as i want to be like yeah go leftists i love that you guys first off look fabulous i love your makeup <laughs> seriously but okay so yeah. the, basically you have what I guess you could describe as like Occupy North 6th Street. It's just a bunch of people yeah. who are just staying in a part of town that no one that's in the frat knows how to get to and from. <laughs> you know? They they're somehow just... get there and then are completely clueless as to how to leave. Well, their car is destroyed off screen. Again, they don't have the money to destroy a car. No, no, no. So they just say like, did you destroy his car? Yeah, I destroyed his car. Um, but you so gotta they're, take so they're, my word for it. They're lost in basically like the autonomous zone, basically in Austin, where they're protesting nuclear proliferation. 
Apparently, you find out at the end they're doing some kind of nuclear testing because that's why that dude is going to get thrown into an easy-bake oven at the end. <laughs> but this one guy has been mutated by nuclear waste, and you only know that because, one, he's got that Party City costume, and two, uh, yeah. a woman very kindly wants to uh, give him oral sex, <laughs> and he decides nice to her. murder her, which I will say, by the way, I've never seen anyone murdered with a rolled-up fence before. Oh, my... Aluminum siding? Like. Yeah, I've never Be seen afraid. that before. That was Be pretty very cool. afraid of no, aluminum siding. Cool. There is nothing more Texas than killing somebody with corrugated metal. <laughs> yeah, like, like, and he just rolls it up and it just kind of presses her like a yeah, pain. Until yeah. blood shoots out, much like if you were squeezing a hot pocket too much. <laughs> right. This is why I actually think like this is the movie's Verhovianness. This is where it's like there's a the vague Cop- the, copyright it. Verhovianness. Verhovianness. This you heard is it like here first. The vagaries of the leftist movement that it shows is sort of what is getting us in the mindset because at that time in mainstream culture, the left was just this huge, dangerous thing. Their aims were vague. Uh, Makeup was loud. Were- <laughs> Their makeup was loud. They were scary and counterculture. The images of the left and right at this era of American culture, like meeting each other. And during the second act, at least, you're right, Drew, that the second act like leaves you wanting more movie. But what it does do is like it either cuts between a like very cheap ripoff of the Warriors where every character is Ajax, every character is the, ha- the hateable one, <laughs> the racist, awful one. <laughs> And the other half of the movie is when after uh, Paul and John Tom, Johnny, Tommy, Jay, Jim, uh, (laughs) after they save Julie, there's like a very politically interesting from a cultural standpoint conversation had like where the two sides are viewing each other for the first time and what's great is that like the the like street tough chick who tells you know who tells off the sort of main characters who are supposed to be lovable but dumb this type of character exists in movies like this but usually the julie character is then rebuffed and is like well you don't know me i had to blah 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 like and is usually like she has to learn but this movie she doesn't really like she's right and she's presented as right throughout pretty much the entire movie the only thing that is like ever really given any credence is like the idea that she wasn't going to get away from the cops on her own but like for the most part she's shown to be tough independent correct morally and correct like it like is like their virgil through the through the the you know the inferno that is north 6th street yeah on the other side of 95 she also communicates like the philosophy of if you're just gonna lump all like progressive and leftist movements into one thing she sort of like communicates the philosophy of them in a way that is neither heavy-handed and moralizing while also sounding like an actual person, like sounding like real dialogue when she says like, How do you live here? I failed a sorority exam. Just a minute, you seem somewhat out of, out place. of place. Yes, and that you're really a, a nice, nice girl. girl. Yes. Well, what did you expect? We're basically the same. We have feelings and dreams too. The only difference is you're content to let the world stay as it is. We're trying to do something about it. Well, okay, here's my thought about that though, okay. I don't remember specifically, but was there 
What was the line that made her reveal why they had makeup on? Was it just oh, like, it's, it's, what's with the makeup anyway? No, no, that's a, that's a good point. Um, yeah. I, I, we should point out to people who haven't actually watched the movie yet that the reason they're called... Watch, watch, watch it. Watch, <laughs> yeah, the reason they're called mutants and the reason they wear makeup is because it started as uh, like a motif, basically. They were cr- trying to show what people could look like if uh, nuclear science was allowed to run rampant. Like, this is what a future of mutants could look like. And they kind of adapted that as their personality and as their look and their style. And amongst them, they have one mutant, actually, who is Splatter. So everyone is, like, looking at Splatter uh, and then dressing like Soft Cell. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, if nuclear waste turns you into Jim and the Holograms, I'm sold. (laughs) Seriously. Go roll around in some... But again, also, he's a victim of... Radiation uh, poisoning, which may have like affected his personality or something, but it's never shown in any way except for his pee pee. Yeah, <laughs> everything else. <laughs> yeah, this one moment where he uh, brutally murders a woman in an alley. Yeah, yeah, but it's just interesting that you know, like I guess you're left yeah. to assume that the radiation has made him crazy. He's never like, oh, that's how I got this little splotchy mark on my forearm or anything. It's just nope. All I've got is like. Crazy doo-doo brain. I've got a weird uh, Toxic Avenger dick. Yep. <laughs> which, which before that scene, I, I have to point out my disappointment because we have we have this scene where two street girls are discussing Splatter's sex life and they speculate that he hasn't had sex since the ac- accident and they keep riffing and riffing about how, you know, he would just come really fast probably and at no point during any of this riffing do they make a Splatter joke. <laughs> oh. oh, what a missed opportunity. Disappointing. They do say, I bet he'd come all over his chains. Like, <laughs> all right. It's very okay. specific. Yeah. Cool, cool. He, they were, I really loved them as characters. <laughs> it's, it, there's something, again, I like have to believe that this movie has a level of self-awareness when you like cut to two sex workers standing by a loading dock. And the <laughs> opening line is like, you know, I'd like to advance more. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like, I'm looking for something with a little more advancement. Like, there's a this movie has to know what it's doing a little bit. Splatter. I wonder what's under the armor. <laughs> Bet that guy's got a heart on eight hours a day. Might be fun to find out. Come on. No way. That guy scares the hell out of me. I'd rather suck off a ball bat. Don't you even want to know what it's read your diary whenever i watch a like a bad b movie especially if it's from the 80s i always think about like what happened to these people like those two sex workers <laughs> now are probably grandmothers if they're still alive you know <laughs> i mean they're actors they're ne- yeah. they weren't sex workers at the moment i'm sure well i don't know if they were actors well yeah <laughs> we i don't know i just i always am curious i'm like i wonder what happened to these people's lives like you know it's it's like probably they'll they never ever think about it again and then you there's the documentary on troll 2 have you seen that oh yes you know when they go into the old man's house and he's just like i've wasted my life (laughs) (laughs) then like is burned into my soul the old man who was in that movie just like went on to live his life as like a lonely old man and never found love and lives alone and uh you know it makes you makes you feel makes you feel a lot well, thanks, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> now, I like to, I like to think the opposite. I'd like to think that these women, like, yes, they started families. They 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 live their life, and every Christmas they turn on Future Kill, and you know they have a little bit of a laugh when 
They're like, oh, the scene's coming up, Grandma, when you offer the dickless man a blowjob. Look how and, good my tits and, were. Uh, yeah. And Grandma sort of shakes her head, but, you know, she loves it. It's part of, it's tradition. Yeah. So one of the sex workers goes and, uh, like like you said, Drew, very kindly offers him a blowjob. She's <laughs> like a, just a very, very nice lady. Um, not even hot for splatter, hot for experiences, life yes. experiences. What's the matter, bitch? Would you like what modern man can do for his brothers with a little misplaced nuclear energy? Some sort of accident of nuclear radiation has eviscerated his dick. <laughs> he's just, he's got, unclear. He's no, no, got, no, unclear. Yeah. It's unclear if he has no dick. Or if it's just like horribly mutated, like some sort just of real monster. Yeah. I would love to know what you think she saw because she reacts <laughs> very strongly, Viscerally. like she so, stared so into the face of a of a Cthulian <laughs> beast and driven her mad. I think it's fucked up they didn't show it. You gotta I be agree. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Totally. If a, a movie that later has to make me look at like a fucking M sixteen blown apart cat, oh like, should, should be showing me. Oh my god! Is gonna deny me. Here's what I think. I think his dick was like whenever uh, Bugs Bunny would tie up Elmer Fudd's shotgun and he'd shoot, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's sort of like. Bow. <laughs> right, and then, it, and then he'd shoot, and it would blow apart like into shreds. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it's definitely not a Ken doll situation. I'm gonna say uh, Pickle Rick, complete with <laughs> oh, it's conscious, voiced by Justin Roiland. Yeah, she actually just has tryptophobia, and so there's a lot of like circles really close to each other, and she's like, oh no 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 no. I just no, hope no, that no, it's no, like no. six, and they're all just like coming out in different places. <laughs> it's like a Bramble bush of dicks. Or if it's really like, you know, fitting the, the ethos of the movie, I think it actually is just a normal dick, and then she's grossed out because sucking dick is gay. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he is the one turning this movement into uh, militant violence, born out of the fact that his, like, masculinity was destroyed, mm -hmm. is something. Like, the fact that huh. this this is, like, a, a nonviolent movement being uh, sort of taken over by a guy who's mad because of his dick is is at least I think a, a purposeful, if not giving away something deeper. And is actually interesting to think about as the frat bros are also completely led around by their fucking dicks the entire movie, and that and that really the only saviors are two strong independent women is like kind of interesting to think about. Like the only two people who aren't really actually sexualized at all are the people who end up being the sane, legitimate voices in the whole movie. You don't think right. Julie was sexualized? I thought Julie was very sexualized. Uh, uh, I don't think she's sexual. I mean, I think she's, like, cute and is wearing, like, a, a semi-skimpy outfit, but I don't think she's, like... I don't think that... They, they don't really, like talk about her on screen right, about that's that true. like right. she doesn't she doesn't give the like sort of like ooh, like i hope that we can go back to your place later like kind right, of. right 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 i, I mean yeah. yeah sex sex has to do with it because she isn't she is introduced to us via an attempted assault by the police but it's not right. like yeah yeah she's constantly under the patrol of the male gaze yes, but she yes. isn't necessarily just like I'm pulling out my boobs for no reason because it's the 80s. <laughs> Jamie, as our resident woman, how often... <laughs> 
Continue, continue. <laughs> Please go just, on with this. Just sentence. how often? <laughs> no, I, I do want to hear an answer. You know, how often do you just like whip out my boobs? And <laughs> you know how? Yeah, like especially for people you don't know very well. <laughs> Every day of my life, Greg. Uh, Ooh, damn! <laughs> and that person is herself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that person is the Lord. <laughs> That's a fucking Richard Matheson story right there. There is a, a scene though, I guess, because I I know that she says like why she wears the makeup. But what was the what was the thing that they said to make her reveal that? We, it was something he, stupid like he was basically like, how do you expect anyone to take you seriously, seriously looking like that? Right, and so that's so that's the interesting thing to me. There is this idea of like they don't actually give a shit. You know, it makes me think a lot of like Occupy Wall Street, where no one's gonna be like, "Hey, man, why do you have that rat tail? I have this rat tail for my friend Goozy who died." You know, like it's, <laughs> it doesn't matter why. R.I.P. Goozy. R.I.P. Goozy. It doesn't matter why. All that matters is that no one cares. Yeah. There's like this interesting movie. I I genuinely liked all the scenes between Paul, Julie, and other guy. Mm-hmm. Me too. I th- Way more interesting th- like, than the other contingent, because the other contingent was just a chase, a constant, really hard to follow chase. Yeah, they get in a fight with a with these three freaks who who aren't like after them. They just sort of like Steve they just call it. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Steve starts it. They call them freaks, and they get in a fight. And one of them has just used a rope to hang one of the freaks and watches him die very slowly. But we like hang on that moment. We hang on it, and uh, we hang on. Uh, nice, Greg. Uh, high five. Uh, high five, Greg. <laughs> we do like see the person who did it, George, I think, like look at his dead body frozen for a long time and he doesn't really have any reaction until, and this is where it does seem to be emotional, we are seeing these characters experience trauma is right after that they head to like a pretty sweet show, pretty <laughs> sweet local show in Freak City. Um, and, and George... And uh, the blonde one are talking about like, hey, this ain't so bad. This party ain't so bad. And George is like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. And then someone bumps into George and he drops his beer. Oh, my beer. And he breaks into tears because he has just experienced trauma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and I don't, you know, I don't feel bad for him. He's just murdered somebody. I think the opposite. I think you're searching for a pathos. I think what's actually happened is that he somehow hung a person in a street fight, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Someone's like, what? Uh, that doesn't. Pretty Welcome to Texas, baby. Everything's bigger in Texas. <laughs> yeah, but in reality. Losing his beer is hard for him because it's his beer and he lost it. It has nothing to do with death. He's not processing food. It's just a guy who likes beer. He's a simple, I mean, he's a simple man who carries around a noose just in case he ever has to hang somebody from a fire escape. For that perspective that you're talking about, like they would have had to have shown that they have some kind of impunity. And I think maybe the weird thing is that now they're in this world where they can do whatever they want, right? Because this... This uh, this mutant zone is kind of lawless, and that's shown by like the cops just fucking people up and people getting killed on the street. Like there's there's no there's no consequence. So I didn't see what you saw. I actually saw him enjoy like killing them. Like the, they're the, it's what towards the end they were really liking killing people. You know? Yeah. Yes. But I think that I think where 
I disagree that I think the performance in the moment seemed more just like it was animalistic and horrifying. Shock. And, and then he was shocked. Right. Shocked. Yeah. I don't think it was on his face reading like, what am I in this great machine? Right. I think it was, <laughs> I think why I think it is a moment that reveals their place in this sort of structure of oppression is exactly what you were saying. Their life has no violence in it. Their life has no politics in it because of this like Interesting. middle class privilege like right. in that moment he is thrust into what is the real world for everyone else. like like which is a animalistic sort of fight for a survival which he has never been a part of so then we cut into a concert they're called uh max and the makeups i love the soundtrack to this movie so i was yeah. watching it with like shazam in my hand and trying to catch things <laughs> Much rather be at this party, even though even though someone dies at this party and no one died at the other party, I would still rather be at this party. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I forget which one says it, but one of the one of the frat boys says, "Looks like they're having fun even here." Yeah, and it, that was interesting. It's w- too weird. I like it. If they have any character growth, our frat boys, this is where they start to like, no, like, oh yeah, uh, other people are people. And you can tell uh, that the crew has character growth too because they're like, oh, what if we did have permits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What and, a concept. Right. That's the other thing is there's some genuine fucking cinema in this one. They had a lot of setups for this scene. Yeah. An actual lighting. Yeah. So Steve, our our meathead, like goes and dances with one of the freak girls, and he's the first to notice that like Splatter has walked in, and he tries to point it out to his friends who are up on the balcony, but and he's screaming for them, and they can't hear him, which I was I was surprised by just the cinema of it and the like logic of it. Like in movies like this, speaking at a dull roar is usually enough to be heard in like a very loud con- concert. Yeah, it, it was cool that like you saw him and he was you saw his mouth moving, but all you heard was the din of the crowd from their yeah. POV, and it was like, oh, that's that's actually an interesting move. Because. Right before Splatter is able to stab Paul through the throat, as he loves to do, a random freak jumps in the way. R.I.P. Random freak. To sit to show. It's a it's a Deus Ex Machina. That was Jesus Christ saving me. <laughs> yeah. I never felt more for a character before because I've been to so many shows and tried so desperately to get through a crowd to get to the bar or something. <laughs> I could just imagine the last ten minutes of his this guy's life was being like, "Excuse me, excuse me, I'm just I'm passing. Excuse me, oh fuck, excuse me." Stabbed. I like that this movie, like it, it shoehorns in the the sort of relationship between Julie and Paul. But I think actually, I think it works. I think their their love story as it develops actually kind of makes sense because they actually start talking to each other in a way that a lot of movies. It's like it's like two people on opposite sides of the tracks. They meet each other and you know that they're going to fall in love. And this one actually kind of gives credence to that because they actually have conversations about like their mutual experiences in a way that is like, shit, this movie is the best shoehorner of this type of love story. Yeah, Paul, you actually see Paul become interested 
in her world and yeah. and interesting. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> develop some semblance of. That's character. why I could remember his name. Also, <laughs> huh? Wait, if you give a character characteristics, you can remember their name. What a concept! Go figure. <laughs> can you believe it? And it actually, and it, I think it would have been more of a groaner if they had played any more like in love. It would have been a real groaner if we actually saw them like act upon it. It would have been a real groaner. You saw the two characters become like interested in each other but not in a sort of dewy-eyed way. Yeah. Right, they, been... they just have like a, maybe we'll go out for fries next week? I don't know, this feels weird. We just have <laughs> <Yeah>. like shared, <laughs> We uh, they basically like bonded over like shared, shared trauma. trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Splatters men come in. Uh, splatter, Splatters. Uh, <laughs> our friends... Our friends. That's how close I've gotten Casey, to them. do not speak for us. None of these people are my friends, except Julie. Uh, She's fine. We Julie can hang can, out. Uh, Julie, Julie can, can stay. We can hang. Yeah. Julie and the frats run away. Julie and the frats. And then we get more running than an episode of Doctor Who. There, We right. get just a 20 minutes of running down endless hallways. Is that what Doctor Who is? It's mainly yeah. running down hallways. <laughs> And we love it. I, I want to get to the climax because it, I th- I really like it, but I don't want to just blow past uh, Paul's fucking roundhouse kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was bananas. Out of nowhere. I wouldn't move an inch if I were you, God. <laughs> Yeah, there's someone in that base camp who trained all of these uh, like amazing mutant warriors was like, all right, here's the deal. When you enter a room, stop, give a dramatic pause, and get ready to give your monologue. You all have written your monologues, right? <laughs> you don't want me to just uh, just shoot the people? No, no, that'd be crazy. You, They have to know why you're shooting them. <laughs> But you also can't just go right into the monologue. You Otherwise, pause. they're in a hot freak city because they have unfinished business. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> he was just sort of muttering the monologue to himself. Like, Come on, this is your this is your moment, Zappo, or whatever this freak's name was. <laughs> well, no, there was a moment where Dearly his beloved. friend, we his friend kind of goes to move. So then Zappo... Like kind of like shifts focus enough time for him to Chuck Norris Texas Chain uh, Texas Ranger <laughs> Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Ranger, Ranger. <laughs> yes Fuck. million dollar idea that's a T shirt that someone bought on Threadless in two thousand seven <laughs> for sure <laughs> all movie Julie's been saying my friend will help get you out my friend will help get you out and Julie has been leading them back to. Uh, the abandoned nuclear facility. Fucking Chekhov's abandoned nuclear facility. Thompson <laughs> Research uh, Laboratory. Wait, but but before before that we get there, we do well. oozy up a fucking cat. Jesus it, Christ! Oh. Like it, it was the scene from Alien Base or Aliens where like you you hear the cat and they're like, "What's that sound? Oh, it's just a cat." But instead of moving on, they then just machine gun the cat into a bloody pulp, which we see. And yeah. Why? So One of the only like special effects that we actually see in the movie. They have no budget to destroy cars, but they were like, no, 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 we have to show this dead cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trailer scene for sure. It was like... <laughs> so they go into the abandoned nuclear facility and, and it's revealed that Julie's friend that they've been leaning to the whole time is Dorothy Grimm, who propositions the boys 
to, not that that's not the word I want to use <laughs> who, uh, who offers a deal to the boys that she will help them take down splatter if they will act as bait for her traps she's because... the Kevin McAllister of the movement <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally so they chase through the same two hallways over and over again with just like slightly different light hey they had they got gels they bought gels for that scene they and- bought gels and I was I was happy for the movie that they made an interesting decision to light these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> it was at least like, oh, they're making a movie now. Yeah, it yeah. was lighting. Oh, I love the moment where they're just like, we should all probably just like split up. <laughs> it would be better if he doesn't find us all together. And I was just like, what? Like, none yeah. of these people at this point, 1985. VHS exists. You have the ability to watch horror movies. And, you know. Or at the very least, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never forget that episode where they stabbed Shaggy in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like zoinks. I'm bleeding out, man. <laughs> so they kill the one dude, and then they kill him in the hallway, and then hang him up in a Christ-like pose with some light shining directly into his chest. Uh, okay. Wait, doesn't he kidnap someone? Yeah, well, it's unclear to me. It seemed like actually it was Blondie finds George, like opens the door and we see through the shaft of light right. that George has been nailed to a wall. And then a, a hand comes out and like chloroforms Blondie. Oh, yes. That. Oh, I forgot about and, that. Okay. And yeah. that hand has nail polish on it. So to me, that read as it was Dorothy like setting Whoa. her bait oh. for mm. Splatter. So they find Blondie all tied up in this room. What happened to George? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sick. That's a sick that line. That was so great. I, I will say, like, the majority of the actors in this movie are not particularly charismatic. Marilyn Burns even included like she she's sort of like like oh, like very throwaway. But man, yes. Edwin Neal is pitch perfect ham and the the fact that he went on to have like a very prolific voice acting career makes sense because his voice was a hundred percent my favorite part of the movie like the moments where he's just like that bitch julie i was like yes i was like i was like please like read me war of the worlds like come on yeah and then they're all basically just standing around while he monologues waiting for death. again they never kill they never kill immediately they're like but first i must yeah. tell you Long ago, when the world oh, was young. Oh, just kill me. No, nine rings were forged. <laughs> you monster. So what happens? I don't really understand. I guess he's talking, and then he gets kicked into a closet full of green lights. Dorothy stabs him. She, yeah, right, Dorothy she comes stabs out of nowhere and gut. stabs him with like a pitchfork. Right? Oh, the yeah, tiny pitchfork. My girl comes out with a little trident. Again, and fucking... like you carry a noose in your pocket, you have a small trident in case you know you have to move a very small bale of hay. You're going to need help. Yeah. She stabs him in his uh, in his bag of tomato sauce. <laughs> She's just like... That he conveniently keeps near My prego! Yeah. <laughs> with that, she pushes him into something the, something the the thing the the big microwave yeah. it, it is amazing how unclear whatever this thing is but it sort of doesn't matter because it's rad no yeah 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 it's, it, 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 it absolutely doesn't matter it's awesome they hand just, wave it 
you know, they're, they're like, he should know that. They say something like where it's like, he should know this This is area. where he was created. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. This is where he was created, they say. Oh, so this yeah. is what he was like exposed to yes. that made him into a mutant. Yes. This is the machine Splatter was fucking when it went horribly wrong. <laughs> uh, he tried to put his dick in the creepy crawler oven. <laughs> <laughs> That and the uh, cat are really like the the fucking tentpole effects. Well, it's interesting because like I guess the big thing was like not only is it the the two what two of the seven actors in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know the stars, that lady and the guy with the mask on. um, I guess they got the VFX person too, and it doesn't go like full Cronenberg, but he definitely gets baked. You know, like he he starts to melt a little bit, and he's it's mostly through acting. Like he's definitely given some pretty good growls. You know, yeah, he does a good melting performance. Yeah. is a good melting. There's like a there's like a green goo pop that happens that yeah. is the moment where I was like, ooh yeah. Like, and like everyone in that room definitely has cancer now, right? Like oh, I yeah. don't know what safe Because they're in their sixties. Yeah. <laughs> We're all gonna get it. <laughs> Yeah, they were really trying to sell Splatter. They wanted action they, figures. They <laughs> t-shirts. I mean, the first title card that said Edwin Neal is Splatter. Yeah, and, which is you know he's just one of those long lines of, of actors who have all played Splatter. You know, I <laughs> I myself preferred the Olivier Splatter. Yeah, but you gotta you gotta be careful of the Splatter curse. You know, everybody who plays Splatter uh, ends up not doing much else other than voice work. <laughs> They think that they're safe. There's like a door to the outside world, and then a, another, maybe the same mustached guy it who is. I think is it's also Greg. Command. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, it was mutant Greg. See, that was. You want to talk about like allegory? That as I was watching this, I was like, God, this movie would have been so funny if everybody who was in the party was also a mutant oh. to show like how they're the same, but also because they don't have the budget for more actors. And I was convinced that all of the dudes with mustaches were Greg <laughs> from the beginning. I was oh, convinced that, so that, that was true. Oh, and, and my favorite shot in the entire movie, which is Steve standing next to a sign that says, Danger Acid. I was <laughs> so pissed that that was not how Uzi Guy got, like, right? it was so like, big. Yeah, yeah, what a like, tease. I, I was like, if they don't fucking dunk somebody in acid, this movie sucks. Yeah, what a tease. And then Steve very, very slowly snaps his neck. Uh, but Paul, yeah. like, also... Also tells him not to like like even though they're facing down like their potential deaths again. Paul is like after everything we've learned, maybe we should not. Never mind. Steve's already killing him. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just ends. He snaps that guy's neck. Yep, credits. And then there was no fucking acid because oh guys, again I gotta go back. This movie is. Um, the characters who are left are all having very different reactions to what they've experienced that night. Like Paul has met Julie. So he's our sympathetic protagonist who like he has seen enough bloodshed. He wants there to be love, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Blondie is like, I think I'm not going to go back to the frat house. I think I'm going to stay here. Jim Carrey is just like, traumatized like totally shaken (laughs) says nothing when they walk away at the end he's like hugging his arms and like looks back and like steve is like totally i'm going back to the frat i'm done with this world i'm going back to president one day (laughs) right exactly 
why I can read a version of this movie that has a nuanced political message is not because it doesn't have, it doesn't like wrap itself up with a bow. It doesn't say where we as a society need to go. It has a much more sort of like humanist political message because it shows all these different reactions. And then they step into this like nebulous white void, which is all of them, all these different types of people stepping into the future, just an uncertain future together. Like this is this is a story that will play itself forever. That's not to that's not to take away from my favorite thing about this movie, which is the end credits, where where uh, Splatter is the only name that is com- completely uh, capitalized. There <laughs> are other credits such as Curious Bad Girl and Uncurious Bad Girl. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, and then the following group names of really cool frats, beautiful girls, and street mutants, which are just like, if, if, if your movie has credits that read like that, you are a good movie. You have won, <laughs> yeah. You've won the arms race. Also, did you guys watch till after the credits? No. no. I, I, did no. Did Fury show up? No, there, there isn't a post-credit scene, but when the screen goes to black, you hear Splatter's laughter. <gasps> At the very end. And then at the very tail end of it, cough, starts coughing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I thought, again, I was like, this movie is the shit. <laughs> like, it is like, but to take to to take that moment, the the like end of movie return of the big bad, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to sort of play on that and then to show that like vulnerability. To show that this character, beyond <laughs> just you. having, <laughs> no, come on, <laughs> Easy, fuck you. <laughs> no, I, I, again, I, I cannot, I cannot stress enough how much I appreciate that you are really digging in and finding these little gems because I cannot turn my bullshit detector off. <laughs> yeah, I cannot turn my bullshit detector off. Casey must have done so good in semiotics, which was <laughs> something that I oh. fell asleep during multiple times. Yeah, I've always operated under the assumption that there actually are no bad movies; that they're all <laughs> there's only great movies. <laughs> <laughs> you just have you some movies you just have to do a little bit more work on. Hey, I'm here for it. I respect that. I I, I truly do respect that. I gotta say, and this movie, yeah, 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 you gotta do the work. <laughs> you, <laughs> you gotta put the legwork. In. And the truth is, I would love nothing more than for there to have been, in 1985, a horror satire of all of those tropes, you know. But I think they're still in it. You know, it's 1985. They're making a 1985 movie. They're not removed (laughs) from it enough. You know what I mean? Enough time has to have passed for you to to properly look back and say, oh, we should satirize this. I don't know, though. And the only reason I, 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 I push back is the director worked in distribution so it's like mm. these are people who do know and so i think sure i think that there is a lot of satire that is in here on purpose and then i also think that part of it is like i think they were looking at the bottom line i think they were like we need to get people's yeah. asses in seats here are three basically like three reference points of movies that have done extraordinarily well which would be Animal House, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Road Warrior. Mm. 
uh, you know, both can be true. Mm-hmm. I was really excited to watch this movie because considering the world we currently live in, which you're right, Drew, I am not watching this independent of, like I was excited to watch a movie that was devoid of some radical politics. And the, <laughs> like the second line in the movie is a newscaster saying like, peaceful protests have turned violent. I was like, God damn you, future <laughs> but, then he says, but then he says, we don't know who started the fire. And that's a lie because yeah. we do. It was Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, <laughs> Joe DiMaggio, Joe McCarthy, Richard Nixon, Suda Baker, Television, North Korea, South Korea, Marilyn Monroe, Rosenberg's age, Palm Sugar, Ray, Palm and John Brando, King and I, you're going to catch her in the right. Eisenhower if you say it anymore, you're going to get a DUI by default. you got to calm down. Look, Jamie, you got to stop these rock and roller cola wars. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> This week's ripoff report card is brought to you by the great state of Texas, churning out gut churners for 55 years. <laughs> Texas has been the home to many homegrown horror and exploitation movies, of course, most notably the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the film that pointed out the state as the de facto place to never go checking out abandoned farmhouses. Well, it spawned a whole generation of filmmakers looking to put their localities on the map. There are too many to name, but some of my personal favorites to jump on this train are the evil genie monster movie The Outing, aka The Lamp, which was shot in Houston, the Robocop shoot-em-up knockoff Rotor, which was shot in Dallas, the killer ancestral spirit Wendigo-type flick Demon Warrior out of Waco, and the killer farmer vamp comedy Bloodsuckers from Outer Space out of Hamilton. Despite its title, though, the swamp exploitation classic Psycho from Texas was actually shot in Arkansas. <laughs> Damn. Star and co-writer Edwin Neal is probably the most familiar face, uh, having played the hitchhiker in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with creepy aplomb. Neil, though best recognized for his horror work, with bit parts in Bob Balaban's My Boyfriend's Back, as well as playing a guard in the serial killer priest straight to video bizarro The Divine Enforcer, Neil has kept himself most busy as a voice actor, becoming a go-to for anime dubs. As of 2015, director Ronald Moore runs a movie memorabilia shop in Texas, which is apropos as he originally struck up a friendship with Edwin Neal over a mutual love of movie posters a year before he had actually seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The bombed out locations they had written about were apparently pretty easy to find in downtown Austin in the mid 80s. And apparently while they were shooting some of the scenes with the mutants, local punks thought that they were making fun of them. And so at points started hollering and throwing bottles at the production. Uh, sick. Future Kill's original working title was simply Splatter, which they ended up changing because they thought that it didn't suit the production. But head scratchingly, the UK video title was Night of the Alien. <laughs> what? Which I love because that makes uh, no sense. <laughs> Ed Neal said a lot of the theaters booked the film based solely on the H.R. Geiger artwork. When asked about his relationship with the film, Geiger said, quote, When Ron Moore, the director, visited an exposition of my work near Zurich, he asked me if I would care to do the poster art for the film. Moore showed me a couple of photographs of the character with a skull-like head which looked just like it had been stolen from one of my works. He tried to get away from Ronald Moore by feigning sickness, and apparently the story goes that Ronald Moore broke down and cried, and so Geiger was like, (laughs) 
Okay, I'll fucking do it. <laughs> Half a year later, I saw the finished film, and it was... How shall I put it? It was very colorful, whereas my poster was rather black and white. I liked the colors in the film. They reminded me of Black Orpheus. But the rest... <laughs> the poster was well printed, though. <laughs> That was the Rip Off Report Card. All right, class. That's uh, that's Future Kill, baby. What do we are we walking away from this film with? What could possibly be on the final test? Uh, if I learned anything, it's if you slap an H.R. Geiger poster on any movie, regardless of quality, people like me will watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Casey, Drew, I don't know which of you is more correct in the uh, filmmaker's intended messages with this film. But I can say that any movie that makes me go to Wikipedia and adjoining articles like I'm back in high school deserves some credit for making me do the work to dig deeper. <laughs> uh, I learned that we should never judge a movie by its cover because it may have only been gotten through guilt and crocodile tears. <laughs> uh, true. You know, I've been thinking about going back and maybe taking some adult karate classes for self-defense, but now I think I'm just going to carry a noose around with me because it seems a lot easier. Wise people such as us will politely disagree about the intention of the filmmakers, but you cannot argue with the results. So let me just give you a series of events from the 1980s. <laughs> 1980. Randall Forsberg writes Call to Halt Nuclear Arms effectively beginning the nuclear freeze movement. October 1981, Ronald Reagan proposes adding thousands of nuclear warheads to the American arsenal. 1983 to 1984, American nuclear war planning exercises leads the Soviet Union to increase their nuclear alert level, bringing us as close as we've ever been to nuclear annihilation. In January 1985, the US was deploying nuclear weapons all across Europe in an attempt to create a shield between them and the Soviet Union. In May 1985, Future Kill is released. <laughs> and in July 1985, Premier Gorbachev puts forward the first unilateral moratoria on Soviet nuclear testing. And in November 1985, Ronald Reagan unprecedentedly meets for the first time with the Soviet leader to talk ending nuclear proliferation. <laughs> Me. Oh. Ronald Moore and the movie Future Kill, a debt of gratitude for still having life on this planet. Who could forget Ronald Reagan going to Russia with blue and red face paint on, looking like Cindy Lauper? Uh, Casey, you're right. This movie saved our lives. <laughs> yeah. This movie saved the world. <laughs> Thus endeth another lesson here at Video High. Our next episode will attempt to climb the Canadian Rocky that is 1986's Busted Up. 
the sweat-soaked journey of one round-ring fighter who uses his fists to save his neighborhood from realtor speculation. Check out that assigned screening and listen to us wherever you seek out fake audio friends. And find us on Facebook and Instagram at Video High Podcast. Thank you to everybody who makes it possible. That is Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of the band Scout Harris for our theme song. Justin Ferraro of the band The Rizzos and Lowboy for all the other music. Ann Shearer for our amazing logo, and of course our teacher Philip Marlowe. Also big ups to my fellow hosts, Greg Hansen, Jamie Kennedy, Josh Roth, and myself, Casey Regan. And we all legally owe 500 kisses to our first exchange student, Drew Kaufman. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, If you guys are fans of music, a little on the heavy side, uh, check out Two Minutes Late Night. It's a late night music talk show. We haven't really done the talk show this year because of the world falling apart. So we've been doing bedroom covers with musicians uh, that are really cool. We've been putting out music video type things once a week. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Diane underscore Hellboy. That's all my photography. And that's uh, that's pretty much it that I've got to plug. Uh, also, I guess, send uh, Ronald Reagan money for ending... <laughs> nuclear proliferation (laughs) for getting rid of all the nukes they're all gone everybody they're all gone everybody thanks so much for being a part of it drew yeah thanks thanks drew this was really fun that was a really fun movie i absolutely hate that i'm never gonna forget this fucking movie (laughs) (laughs) yes thanks man uh Um, fucking asshole yeah what the fuck yeah (laughs) by the way if you ever invite a guest on here and they disagree with me again, I will <laughs> walk. Up, up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network.